0: What's going on, Digital Wildcatters? Welcome to another week of big digital energy. We've been out for the last couple weeks. Chuck was uh, traveling across... Europa. Europa. How was that?
1: So we did... My three kids couldn't agree on where to go, so I finally just said, pick a city. Kelly, I want to go to Berlin. Uh, Charlie, I want to go to Barcelona. Sarah, I want to go to Madrid. So we went Barcelona, or we went Berlin, Barcelona, Madrid... And then for good measure, I was, so I went to the travel agent. I'm like, all right, how much do flights cost? Because I just work backwards, cheapest flights back to the United States. Well, they were all about the same. And the travel agent was like, well, why don't we, Lisbon's kind of close. Let's check. Lisbon saved me $4,000 on
0: flights back. So we went to Lisbon as well. (laughs) That's why you need a travel agent. I never understood I never understood the value propositions of uh, travel agents until I was trying to plan a vacation for me and the family a few weeks ago. And I'm like, this is a pain in the ass. Like I'm getting anxiety just thinking about this. So you need a good travel agent.
1: Yeah. the So the interesting thing about being over in Europe is that heat wave was real. I mean, You're from it was Houston, Texas. I know. And, and <laughs> Houston, Texas has the greatest concentration of air conditioning. I think on the planet, our hotel was blowing about 81, 82 degrees. Oh, geez. Um, and I went down to the front desk and this was in Berlin and one, I have no concept of German. I mean, <laughs> it makes no sense. It sounds like barking. Rrf, rrf, rrf. You know, Spanish I kind of fake my way through, pick up a word here or there. But anyway, I just went down. Fortunately, most of the Germans speaking I went down and I said, "Hey, our AC's broken." And they said, "No, nah, that's just all our AC yeah, nah, can it's do." Not, We're it's not, not a broken. American Madrid plate. hit 106
0: Jeez. on the
1: uh, on the internal
0: Well, GW said you had good city choices, and GW is a man of culture. Yes, there we go. sounds like you got his approval. So So the last
1: thing on the trip, just real quick, um, I'm going to mispronounce it. It's called Ahabra. And what that was is when the Muslims controlled Spain from, call it, 700 uh, A.D. to 1300 A.D., somewhere in there, they built this palace. And it's the greatest preserved Moorish architecture out there because when King Charles took back over Spain for the Christians, he just left it. So, I mean, he didn't tear it down. He didn't change it. He just added on. So it was really cool because the history of this place is literally Christopher Columbus in this room Signed the agreement to come to the New World. So I stood in that room That's and it cool. is, yeah, it, it is a, a, a Muslim palace. And then it fell into disrepair. And literally, Washington Irvin, who wrote Ichabod Crane, he was squatting there back in the 19th <laughs> century, writing a book with all these other homeless people. And finally, in about 1900, the Spanish government went, went Holy cow, this is like the greatest thing on the planet. And they've They've uh, restored it and made it a national monument. But supposedly Napoleon's guys were going to blow it up because that's what Napoleon did. He conquered an area, blew everything up, and they had it all hooked up with dynamites, and somebody cut the wire, and they couldn't figure out what happened, so they didn't blow it up, and they had to get out. So that's the reason <laughs> it's here today. But it, it was very, very cool. Is so, your uh, history 101. There, there you go, uh, BDE. So while I was gone in Europe, Inflation Reduction Act, um, which I guess is Senator Manchin and Senator Schumer's version of Build Back Better Light that came out. And, you know, is it going to reduce
0: inflation? Who knows? Let's preface this conversation first, that you or I haven't, we haven't combed through the bill. We don't know exactly what's all in it. I don't understand why it's called the Inflation Reduction Act when you're spending billions of dollars i thought we learned <laughs> that um our poor monetary policy is what has got us in an environment of high inflation but it's besides the fact um you know a lot of people on twitter that are involved in climate and passionate about that we're celebrating this it sounded like there's a lot of energy infrastructure things with renewables and um, utilities electric vehicles Things of that nature. Um, so I did, did you get read to dive in.
1: I did. I did read a little bit of this, and
0: we need oil-filled Rando to
1: read the bill and produce one of his summaries on it. But because the hard thing about reading these acts is they go and they modify the tax code. So it says it doesn't say, "Hey, here's the provision we're putting in." It says, "In this section of the tax code, change the word." is to aren't or whatever, and you have to go trace it back. But I read from a law firm, just a summary, um, there's about $400 billion allocated to renewables. And what it does is it extends the solar investment tax credit for 10 more years. And they have within that provision, there's a 30% investment tax credit. I'm not exactly sure what that means. There's also a production tax credit of 1.5 cents per kilowatt hour that comes along with it. You and I have talked in the past, I get pitched renewable deals all the time where the premise is, hey, if you put up 10 you get 10 back in tax credits over time. So you break even, and then if the project makes any money, that's where you get your return. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how that math works, and we'll get an expert on either my podcast or to come on BDE so we can talk about it and learn about it. But that kind of feels like consistent with what I've seen deals pitches on. We're going to build renewables via the tax, the tax code in effect for free.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I know it included a lot of things like heat pumps for homes, uh, which are kind of a big deal. Um, a lot of people are talking about heat pumps lately um, online and the uh, efficiencies that they can bring. And so lots of stuff in there around hydrogen, EVs, I think. That, There's some geothermal stuff yeah, some in there. Yeah, some geothermal stuff, which... You know, the week before this, I saw um, $160 million dedicated to uh, geothermal, which I had tweeted kind of, you know, Department of Energy had, had tweeted it out. And I'm like, $160 is not shit when you're talking about drilling wells. I mean, what $160 million get you guys on CapEx at Kane? I mean, you're drilling, you know. 15 wells, maybe, <laughs> with that. And, um, okay, but 160 million got us a big loss on 100,000 acres <laughs> in the southern middle, midland basin. But that's uh, another story. But yeah. actually, uh, Tim Latimer, uh, CEO of Fervo Energy, which is one of the leading geothermal companies, uh, replied to me and he actually had some good insight there. He said, you know, it may not be a ton, but it's more than geothermal's ever got before, um, from the feds. And he's like, and typically, there's a five to one uh, ratio of private dollars to government funding. And so he said that was the case for Fervo. So ultimately, you know, $160 million of government money can lead to half a billion in uh, private capital. So lots of, uh, you know, my thing is, is, you know, at the beginning of this kind of took a dig at it um, saying, I don't know how this reduces inflation, but you know, my thought personally, has always been that I'd be happy to pay taxes if it goes towards education, healthcare, and energy infrastructure. You know, it's always the other bullshit that um, I don't want to pay. Like, I don't want to pay taxes to police the world or anything like that. And so for spending money on energy infrastructure, I think that's typically a good thing. Now, I know a lot of grift comes into the space when you have free money flowing around, but you know, it's not something that I'm mad at that we're spending money on it.
1: So I had Campbell Faulkner on the podcast. uh, It's two podcasts ago. So about three or four weeks ago, and we talked about the grid, talked about ERCOT in the state of Texas. And his description was, we just kind of sleepwalked into the problems we have. And basically, to summarize what he was saying is the grid in the state of Texas you get paid for producing energy yeah that that's it so you supply some energy to the grid some electricity boom you get paid for it well what happened is you had in effect the tax code build these renewables and so they in effect put electricity on the grid for just their operating costs, not the necessarily the payback on the CapEx, which is fine. That leads to cheap consumer electricity. It also leads to unreliability because, there, as we've seen, there are days when the wind doesn't blow, the sun doesn't shine. And so we just kind of sleptwalked into this grid that a third of the nameplate capacity is renewables and we're having the reliability problems we have. My worry here is twofold. It's one, we go build a bunch more renewables. Are we going to have a less reliable grid without educating about it? I mean, Mm -hmm. we may make the decision that, hey, we got to get rid of CO2. It's so bad. We're going to use renewables. But just, hey, so you know going forward we're going to have a less reliable grid. And then two, this kind of defeats the argument I always hear that, renewables are so much more cost effective.
0: Why do you need this if they are, you know, I can't remember if we talked about this on the show a few weeks ago, or if you and I talked about it in a private conversation, but you know, the issue that I have with the renewables crowd is that when they talk about the economics of renewables, they always talk about it in silos and they say, Oh, well, renewable uh, power is cheaper. And this is the same thing that happened in oil and gas with, uh, you know, half cycle economics and saying, Oh, well, you know, this well does a 40% IRR. If you back out land costs, GNA right. and interest, Yeah. And it's just not a, um, holistic way of talking about the economics and the finances and, you know, on Twitter specifically people like they won't hear you out when you say that. Cause they're like, Oh, you're just an oil and gas boy. I'm like, we were on Twitter back in 2018, 2019, calling out all the shit in oil and gas, whether it came to type curves, um, you know, half, uh, half cycle economics, things of that nature. And if you think that there's not going to be a grift in renewables, you're what behind the ears. And I think that when you look at these projects, you need to look at it from end to end. Hey, what are you going to have to have for backup uh, power generation You know, that's something that we haven't taken into consideration in Texas. And so we always get caught in a spot and we don't have backup generation. And then what happens is people turn around and point to natural gas as being the problem. And kind of it's like this kind of vicious cycle, you know, right. will fail because it's intermittent and then you don't have backup power generation because we haven't invested dollars into that and then people are like oh well it's actually not gas that's putting us in this problem there you know peaker plants can't can't keep up and we gotta we got to get over that that infighting and actually figure out how do you have a reliable grid with all power sources yeah no uh, and don't
1: it, it also shouldn't be lost when we're talking about renewable projects Robert Smith and I talked on the podcast I forget when he came on but call it Six to eight months ago, I think. Yeah, he came on and said, "Don't forget that renewables are heavily dependent on project finance at low interest rates." And interest rates have probably doubled since he came on the podcast. And so, you've got to factor that into the uh, the economic, the yeah. economics too. Because yeah. I mean, you know, eighty percent of the capex at two percent, you know, interest is a lot different than. 60% of the capex at 5% interest changes yeah. the economics to things and so you know the the so yet to be seen how this plays out i mean you know the the problem we still have is china and india building coal plants i yeah. mean we've got we've got to figure
0: out a way to to address that i just don't think china gives a shit no matter what people online say like i just don't think china cares about climate change i think they care about economic prosperity and um having power so
1: well they um, always add 10 years like if we're gonna go carbon neutral in 2050 they're 2060 (laughs) (laughs) and i bet if i bet if we went to you know 2057 they'd be 2067
0: yeah so shout out to jeffrey uh bernstein he said he loves the podcast appreciate you uh, checking out the show and goldman Asked, what the hell does what behind the ears mean? I actually don't know what it means. I just know that. Uh, it means you're
1: young and inexperienced, but yeah. I don't, I don't get what, <laughs> I, don't I don't know what that means it, or when you're born. That's or you, what? I've
0: always thought it's like when you're born, I don't know, well, like you don't know anything. You're so this born. is,
1: this is for GW2, you know, uh, the saying, mind your P's and Q's. Nobody actually, it means watch your manners, but yeah. nobody actually knows what the P's and Q's mean. What are mean. the P's and Q's? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, there, there's a thought that it's uh, please and thank you, cues. Thank uh, yous. Yeah. You know, there's a thought that's that. There's that. yeah. also, there's a mind your pints and quarts, but nobody actually knows. So. <laughs> there you go. All right, let's do this. So I leave to go to Europe and oil is at $104 a barrel. Last week I get back, it's in the high 80s. Um, a lot of what's driven that is talk of the recession, as well as there's just some weird EIA data coming out about gasoline demand. And Rory Johnson, who came on the podcast when I did the energy policy draft, he's a Canadian economist. He had a really cool take. His draft was he was going to buy the SPR. And when the curve was in backwardation, he was going to sell barrels and then buy them in year three. It was in Contango. He was going to buy current barrels and sell them into the future. Mm-hmm. And he thought if he had the SBR, it was big enough that he could flatten oil prices forever doing oh, yeah. that, <laughs> you know, or at least keep them, you know, so anyway, he had, a, he had an interesting take, but anyway, he did an interesting Twitter thread on this. And so what you're seeing is basically the EIA does this thing called product supplied, and it appears that product supply has dropped dramatically in July literally showing less than kind of mid 2020 type numbers when we were in the heart of the pandemic. Do we believe that? Well, here are (laughs) the two issues that he points out. One, weekly data versus monthly data is always crappier. So, and the other thing that happens is the weekly data doesn't get corrected. So if they publish you know, July, the second week, 2020 of 10. And in hindsight, it was actually seven. They never go back and correct it and say it was seven. So he says that part of it is the weekly, monthly, and they were overestimating stuff in the middle of 2020. And they're probably underestimating stuff today. He also talked about how we've had 50 some odd days of declining oil prices. And really what the definition of product supplied is, is, in effect, you can oversimplify it, and it's gasoline station owners buying inventory. Mm-hmm. If prices are falling every day, you're waiting until the last absolute second to buy gasoline. And you might even go a week without having gasoline just because it keeps falling, because you don't want to buy today, and then in a week you're selling stuff at a loss, because gasoline margins are, you know, gas station I mean, margins are yeah. like 1% and 2%. Yeah. So, his take from looking through all that is yes, the data looks bad, but when you go weekly, monthly, range of errors, and then you factor in just the declining prices and people slow to buy, he said we're probably seeing a ding to demand, but it's nowhere near what the market thinks it is right now. And so that's why you've seen oil prices. Uh, fall down but i would go to rory's twitter
0: feed and and read his tweet on it because it was a thread and it's a really good one i mean just anecdotal evidence i mean people are still traveling you were traveling you know we've talked about this on this uh on this show and um but i mean people are paying attention to did you see that picture i posted the other day about the uh uh, John took a picture and there's a piece of paper on a telephone pole here in Houston and it said, save 50% on your electricity bill and had like little tear sheets to take a number. <laughs> and I was like, that's when you know people are uh, energy prices are getting mm-hmm. high. You got the scams out on the uh, telephone poles. So People are definitely paying attention to it, and I'm sure that's going to lead to some some element of demand destruction. But uh, so, John Mink over at uh, Nick Energy, um, he said China's in their industrial age, and they'll get they'll get there here in a few generations, two generations. Also said that the EIA data is good at a five thousand foot view only, and I think that we could probably all right. agree on that. I mean, if you go run EIA data compared to you know some of the uh, production analytics tools and oil and gas i'm sure it doesn't line up uh,
1: so i thought you were gonna go all foil hat on me and say that biden was distorting
0: the data coming into the mid i was just setting you up for it to see <laughs> if uh, you would go for it because there are some people that that think that that uh that data is being manipulated to um tell a story and i mean look data doesn't lie but humans do so um You know, I wouldn't be surprised if stuff like that happens behind the scenes. But I'm not going to go all tinfoil hat today.
1: The the one thing I will say that I think is a little different than perception is people always believe kind of the spot price is actual supply and demand at that moment. I don't think so. It's a little more forward looking than it gets credit for. I mean, if you knew oil prices were going to go up 10 bucks next week. Would you sit there and fill your car up with as much gas as you could? Sure. If you knew it was going to go down five, bu- ten bucks, would you wait? probably so. You're it's supply and
0: demand at the moment is a little more forward looking than people think. I don't know. Here's my thing about Ford price curves is that it's astrology for finance bros. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't think uh, I don't think it's as accurate as a lot of people. It like is it the
1: collective the collective judgment of billions, <laughs> of billions of billions of dollars traded every go. day. Right, so right. it may it's not got some legitimacy it, it, it's right. not
0: it's not <laughs> it's not right, but it's at least the best accepted uh Mike Umbro said that San Diego airport had 2 million travelers in june exceeding december 2019 so man, yeah that shit, people no, are traveling i mean i'm, so I'm watching people on instagram everyone's flying everywhere i'm like fuck i want to fly somewhere so
1: the, the the global numbers on air traffic is we're at about 90 percent of 2019 and we're probably limited beyond that because of people constraints i mean you see the number of flights getting canceled every weekend it's 2 and 3000 and it's people issues all it takes is a slight amount of weather to to cause any sort of problems i so. saw something the other
0: day that said 25% of flights are being canceled right now
1: or delayed or delayed it, it wouldn't yeah. surprise me if that number on delayed is yeah. right
0: i wonder what that impact has on um, on demand that's got you know if they ever get that issue figured out and can get flights on time then surely demand will come up with it. But we had an acquisition this morning too, uh, I think. Is, yeah. is that our last so, story for today?
1: Uh, yeah, no, I think. I th- so Devon bought Validus. I can't pronounce it. I've got a couple of friends over there. Um,
0: <laughs> I can't pronounce We'll call him V. <laughs> we can't pronounce any of these oil and gas companies I know. anymore.
1: It's all pharmaceutical <laughs> sounding names. But uh, anyway, V had bought uh, the Eagleford, and I'm going to quote David Ramsenwood Wood on this, from the oil company formerly known as Encana, given that we <laughs> given that we can't pronounce stuff. Uh, so they paid $1.8 billion. Devin did for that. It's a cash offer. Um, that's basically a double and call it 12 to 13 months for a uh, validus. Um this is this is Devon again. They did a what they call a highly complimentary acquisition. They did one in the Bakken. Now they're doing one in the Eagleford. Their story is it's two times cash flow. And this is a great stat. And I gotta give a hat tip to uh to David Haikinen, because he's the one that that uh pointed this out on Twitter. But when Devon and WPX merged, it was announced in late September of 2020. Their market cap of their equity was about six billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh The two companies together. The deal closed in uh, December thirty first, twenty twenty one. Since that time, December twenty twenty one, or was that twenty twenty? September twenty twenty was announcement. It closed oh, okay. December thirty first of twenty twenty. Sorry, gotcha. yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. I blew that. Since that time, they've distributed $6.2 billion. So they've distributed more cash than the market value of those two companies. So for all the ranting we want to do about oil and gas companies being bad fiduciaries, at least That's these That's a pretty guys. insane
0: stat to think about. I mean, it kind of shows the velocity that the industry turned around over the last two years. I mean... Two and a half years ago, I mean, people thought oil and gas was dead, right? Well, you
1: know what it shows? $100 oil makes it really easy.
0: (laughs) That's that's what it shows. I mean, look, it's easy to look smart in $100 oil, right? And it's uh, easy to fail in uh, low-price environments when you're at $30 to negative $37. So that's just wild to think about, though, the combined value market cap of those companies. They've distributed that in dividends sky
1: calentine i mean he's felix one felix two you know this is i think at least his third take on it and uh dude hits the ball out of the park every time it's impressive it's hard to do in this business yeah (laughs) no it really is really is one other uh one other interesting thing that i i read uh today we are at august 9th We've had three named storms so far, but none have risen to the hurricane level. So we haven't had. It's been really quiet this year. Yeah, we haven't had a no hurricane. Now they always say that Labor Day is the start of major hurricane season, but just early on, no hurricanes so far, which hadn't happened in a long time.
0: Yeah, especially over the last, I mean, five years, it's been pretty tough hurricane season. So we deserve a break. That'll be that'll be, good. <laughs> that'll be nice. All right. Well, today ending the show, we. This is the first week ever. We don't have a finger of the week. I don't know how I feel about it. Yeah, I don't. I don't either. I, uh, I, was, <laughs> Chuck, Chuck, I came, Chuck came back from Europe and he got soft and yeah, uh, couldn't figure out it's There's a, no uh, hate in my week. heart.
1: It's <laughs> all. Yeah. It's all. It's all good. No, I, I mean, I didn't. I didn't really see anything because usually we avoid politics. We just tried to use it to point out the hypocrisy. <laughs> We avoid politics, but... We give it to politicians. But we, we point out the hypocrisy of someone trashing the energy business. Yeah. And I just didn't see one. So maybe uh, maybe if there's one I missed out there, if you'll tweet it out, I'll uh, create the video and and <laughs> send it out on Twitter and LinkedIn and everything.
0: All right. Well, hopefully next week we'll, we'll return with some fire. <laughs> we'll have our... Uh, fire in the belly. Yeah. But appreciate everyone that uh, hopped in on the live with us today. Always appreciate you guys dropping in the uh, chat and uh, hanging out with me and Chuck, leaving comments. We'll be back next week, uh, Tuesday, ten thirty a.m. Central, and you can catch the replay on YouTube. So share it with some YouTube friends
1: and anywhere else you get podcasts. It's uh, yeah. it's the Spotify, audio versions Apple. on Apple, Spotify. Saying? Yeah, so so we'll catch you guys next week.